This is the Vandy Sports Podcast on the 440 Sports Network, and I'm your host, Billy Derrick. This week's Vanderbilt football pregame show is brought to you by The Wash House, the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, Sutherland and Belk, and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Topics on today's show, as well as this season's baseball content, are presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned, third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located out in Murfreesboro. A partnership began over 50 years ago with Purity Dairy in Nashville to provide purity milk and ice cream to consumers in Middle Tennessee, and they now serve southern Kentucky, northern Alabama, Chattanooga, and north Georgia. Today, they supply grocery stores, convenience stores, and others with Purity products, as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen ice cream. For more information and to pick up your ice cream today, visit their website at mpmci.com. Again, that's mpmci.com. Tell them Chris Lee sent you and get the moose tracks. All right, on today's show, we will preview Vanderbilt and Kentucky. 11 a.m. kickoff here in Nashville at First Bank Stadium. You can watch it on the SEC Network. Vanderbilt got to get up off the mat after last week's tough, tough loss out in Las Vegas. 40-37 to was the final as the Rebels hit a game-winning field goal with about nine seconds left to beat the Commodores. So at 2-2, two and two, Vanderbilt staring at SEC play, and you got the Kentucky Wildcats coming into town and a familiar face in running back Ray Davis. I'm sure we'll be talking about that. We will also be talking to Joey Dwyer in our first segment, our classic, traditional what-to-watch-for segment with Joey Dwyer. He's got a great piece up on VandySports.com outlining his five things to watch heading into this matchup. Ray Davis is one of them. Vanderbilt's response after last week is one of them, and I'll let you find out the others in that interview with Joey. Also, sideline reporter Kevin Ingram for the Vanderbilt Sports Radio Network, along with Andrew Allegretta and Norman Jordan, our rotation continues. We had Andrew last week previewing UNLV. We've got Kevin this week. He was on the sidelines out in Vegas. I asked him about uh, potentially you know, some of the injuries uh, that, that happened last week, how some of those guys stand, uh, but more importantly, just how this Vanderbilt team has responded this week. Uh, he talked to London Humphreys and some of the other guys, and he feels like they're confident heading into this matchup that, that they'll be able to respond. Also, to close it out, Jeff Drummond. Managing editor over at Cats Illustrated, Kentucky's rival site. Uh, we'll preview this matchup from the Kentucky perspective. Learn about this offense under Liam Cohen, who has returned uh, this time with a different quarterback, Devin Leary, for the Wildcats. And also the, the storyline of Ray Davis coming back uh, to Nashville to uh, to face his former team and get a, get a sense of this Kentucky defense and, and how much they've improved uh, after last season. But first, today's news. It's brought to you by The Wash House, which is also our presenting sponsor for basketball season. Are you dreading laundry day? Is it stealing time to do the things that you truly enjoy? Well, let the laundry professionals at The Wash House take care of that for you. With two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area, just drop off your dirty laundry and their professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh and clean laundry ready to be put away. Log on to washhouseclean.com. Again, that's washhouseclean.com. Or stop in today and get your time back. All right, Kentucky at Vanderbilt on Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff. The Commodores and Wildcats are meeting for the 96th time since 1896. Kentucky leads the all-time series. It's tight, but they do lead it 48-43 to 43 with, three, uh, with four ties in there actually as well so it's a this is a, one of the tighter series uh between any sec team and and vanderbilt of course last season the commodores went to lexington and beat kentucky 24 to 21 to end vanderbilt's 26 game sec losing streak but the last time vanderbilt beat kentucky at home you might ask 2015 it was a 21 to 17 win under Derek mason so vanderbilt trying to trying to do something they haven't done in a while beat Kentucky at home. Of course, they're coming off a brutal 40-37 to loss at UNLV. We'll see how this team responds. But for Kentucky, the Cats, they are 3-0. and They've played a soft schedule, though, up to this point. They beat 44-14 uh, over Ball State. They beat Eastern Kentucky 28-17. to That was closer than a lot of the experts thought. And then last week, they beat Akron 35-3, uh, not 35-30. to 
but the Cats are averaging 36 points per game this season, 407 total yards per game, just 214 passing yards per game, uh, but 122 rushing yards per game. So balanced offense. I think they'd like to throw for more uh, for more yards uh, up to this point. I think Vanderbilt is an opportunity for them to do that. Players to watch, start with quarterback Devin Leary. 855 yards, eight touchdowns, and three interceptions so far this season. Also running back Ray Davis. We know all about Ray Davis, uh, former Vanderbilt running back. So far this season, 240 yards, three touchdowns, seven yards per carry. He also has a couple of receiving touchdowns, so we know how good he is out of the backfield as well. It'll be interesting to see kind of the fire of that Vanderbilt defense facing a, uh, a familiar face. They got two other really good running backs as well, Demi Sumo Kongbe and Juton McLean. A couple of, <laughs> of all-name guys right there. Sumo Kongbe and Juton McLean will also get uh, some carries back there as well. Wide receiver Tavion Robinson has 14 catches for 260 yards and three touchdowns. Keep an eye on Barryon Brown and Dane Key as well. It, this I think this receiver room is one of the better receiver rooms in the SEC, so Vanderbilt has got to key on key in on those guys. Defensively, a couple of guys to watch. Linebacker Trevin Wallace, 24 tackles, four sacks, and those four sacks leads the SEC so far, so he's been active. Defensive back Maxwell Harrison has 19 tackles, one interception, and one forced fumble. The weather forecast on Saturday is great. Sunny skies with a high around 85, so it'll be a hot one. It feels like this might be the last Saturday uh, in the 80s, uh, potentially. Of course, Vanderbilt welcomes Missouri to town next week, but we'll see about that. And they'll have good weather for a lot of alums coming back. Vanderbilt is celebrating the 15th anniversary of the 2008 Music City Bowl champions. The first uh, first bowl win in Vanderbilt's history. So I uh, I think that, of course, is, is historical. And Bobby Johnson, you would imagine, uh, will be back on campus. Clark's, uh, Clark's old coach, as well as Earl Bennett. You know, so many other guys. Uh, Javon Hay, as well that uh, that are on the staff so it'll be good to see uh coach johnson lastly here injury report christian james is out of course still he's been out he hasn't played this season junior Izebo is doubtful doesn't look like he's gonna go but the bigger question is grayson morgan i mean i would expect morgan to get out there and play but he is questionable uh, Duricky wright and jalen mahoney are both questionable talk to kevin ingram he said i would expect Duricky to play he's been he's been a warrior so uh, he's been able to suit up and play. Also, Savion Riley, a guy that uh, was not able to go against UNLV, and, and you felt his impact, uh, his you know his lack of presence out there. C.J. Taylor is probable. B.J. Anderson is probable after missing last week due to an illness, and then Gunnar Hansen is also probable. So Vanderbilt's got to get healthy. I think that's the biggest thing heading into uh, this game against Kentucky. You know, number one, get healthy. Number two, eliminate the the sloppy play and the ball security issues. And number three, just play your game, right? Play to your identity. And I think Vanderbilt will have an opportunity to compete. All right, lastly here, let's get to today's mailbag. And uh, I carried over a lot of these, and I apologize on Wednesday morning. I put it up a little late, uh, but uh, Chris and, and Luke got to, to one of them, the first question. Uh, but I, I'll get to the rest here. Mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt or in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200 to see what your rights are and if they can help. All right, let's get to the mailbag. And again, a lot of these are just carried over from the early Wednesday morning mailbag. So I apologize for getting that out too late. Chris and Luke not having an opportunity to answer these, but I'll do my best right now. We start with Doors 94 was the staff overconfident in its approach to the first four games, thinking they could use these games as developmental but still getting three to four wins? Do you agree? And if so, is the approach changing going forward? I think that's a really good question. Um, to be honest, I don't think they were overconfident. I think with Clark Lee's approach, he goes into every game, you know, philosophically saying we cannot treat Alabama A&M differently than Georgia. You know, he understands where they are in this build. And I think that's what a lot of fans need to understand is that the margin for error is still very, very small. And for this team to to get to a bowl game this season at this point, you know, you've got to pick off 
four four SEC teams now, as opposed to just three if you were already at three wins. So I think their goal was to be at three wins uh, at least, you know, heading into this Kentucky matchup. So sitting at two and two, Clark Lee has said he'll take it, but they're they're upset. I mean, I naturally, you know, you're at two and two heading into SEC play. Nobody wants to be two and two heading into SEC play after four non-conference games, right? As an SEC team, I think you should at least be three and one. And so for Vanderbilt, you know, I think they have changed some things. I said after the UNLV game, I just, I think a loss like that warrants some changes, whether that's philosophically, whether that's the players you play, whether that's how you coach. Some changes I think have been made. um, And if they haven't yet, I think they will be made. Uh, But to your question, I, I don't think they, they thought they could use these as, de- as developmental. I, I really don't. I mean, I, I think it, maybe the Alabama A&M game in the fourth quarter, I mean, you know, you, you get up big there. But um, I don't think that was their approach, so I don't think it'll change going forward. Um, but I think within the players and their execution, you, you cannot – and this has been a problem with Vanderbilt for a long time. Luke White has said this. You cannot treat uh, – you know, you cannot treat UNLV differently than South Carolina or Alabama a and differently than Tennessee. You just can't. You're Vanderbilt, right? And you're early still in this build under Clark Lee. So uh, I think I think if anything has to change, it's just kind of the players' mindsets, and that starts with the coaches. So, um, yeah, maybe slightly, but again, I, I just – I don't think that was their approach, but I think it's a good it's a good observation. From VU Matt 23, Duke, the Blue Devils brought in nine transfers under Mike Elko this year. Should Vanderbilt use the portal more to fill holes on the team? Well, it's it's a good observation. I mean, I, naturally, of course, you lose Ray Davis, you lose Jadis Richard, you know, you lose Elijah McAllister to another SEC team, you lose Mike Wright. Um, who else? You know, I think you lost a uh, a recruit that wasn't the portal though. But um, I, I just think for Vanderbilt, they're going to be strategic with, with how they use the portal. Um, you know, they can't get the same amount of kids into school as every other SEC team can. It, it's just it's that simple. I mean. They know that. They're not going to try to do things that they don't think are possible at Vanderbilt, but Prince Colley's a good example. You know, he's a guy that Clark was familiar with. He recruited to Notre Dame. He fit Vanderbilt's profile and they snagged him. So I think they'll be doing a lot of that, uh, but you got to be strategic and you can't put all your chips in the transfer portal if you're Vanderbilt, right? You can't go, all right, we're putting our chips on the table in the portal. And uh, we're going to pull a Deion Sanders or a Lane Kiffin, right? No, you're, you're not. You're not going to do that. Nine transfers. I mean, that's not that many. I, I think uh, Vanderbilt brought in something similar, a little bit less. Uh, I think it was five or six, maybe. But I don't know. Maybe it's nine next year. Maybe maybe they slowly increase. But I just I don't think that'll ever be a uh, a, a very high priority for them. Now, if they're available, they'll take them, right? I mean, you're going to take good players when you can. Um, but they just, like I said, if this was South Carolina or Georgia or any other other SEC school, I'd be speaking differently. But they're not, and uh, you know, you, you got to do what you can do if you're Vanderbilt. Uh, let's see here, Raiders 1967. Can any participant provide any elaboration on how a timeout is called by a player in the last minute of the game without permission of the coach? And of course, if you don't know, that had happened. With under 30 seconds left against UNLV, uh, UNLV had 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 run the ball on second and ten, I think. And at, at right after that, Vanderbilt called a timeout. One of the players called a timeout. Clark Lee confirmed that after the game. Now here, one of two things happened: either a defensive coach staffer told a player to call a timeout, or the player just decided, you know, I, I think I'm. I'm going to call a timeout here. Now, I don't know. Again, I'm sure they've they have gotten this under control this week in practice. But if a if a staffer did uh, did tell a player to call a timeout, that's a serious issue. I just I, I don't you know you you've got to have a little bit more control uh, you know defensively at that point. I think if your coach Lee Clark Lee was was visibly upset after he realized somebody called a timeout, I think I said he's like whoa 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 who called that timeout. So he was upset. I think it's it's inexplicable that that a player had called a timeout there, uh, and then all of a sudden, you do get a timeout. So okay, you call a timeout. Why? Who knows? But okay, you call a timeout, 
you know, let's get into a formation that can defend, you know, what UNLV might do here, right? UNLV is going to naturally going to take a shot, right? You just gave them an opportunity. You gave them, okay, UNLV said, we'll take it. You know, if you're going to give us another, another chance here, we're going to take a deep shot. If one of your corners makes a mistake and we're going to go win the game, right? So it was just UNLV adjusting to, to what Vanderbilt did to themselves. Credit to UNLV, but Vanderbilt, I, I thought, really beat themselves badly uh, against UNLV, and uh, I think it's an issue. I think it's a serious issue. Um, I haven't seen that situation occur. Uh, Raiders1967 asks, Luke, have you seen a situation occur previously during many years on the sidelines? I'm sure, I'm sure Luke has. Of course, you, you think back to Michigan with Jawan Howard, I, I think it was, you know, called a timeout when they didn't have one. So you would you would believe venture to believe this will never happen uh, on the, on that on that Vanderbilt sideline and it happened at the worst time UNLV deep shot right past Martel Height down the near sideline and they win it with 9 seconds left so that uh that was not why Vanderbilt lost the game though i think they they ended up beating themselves as a whole we had a comment there from Dorfan. Maybe get the players together before the possession. Note the timeout situation and explain we will not use our timeout unless they use theirs and we can force a punt with decent time on the clock. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to be said, of course, after after a game like that. And, and you know, Clark Lee said that. he's He said there's a lot of reaction to this game and um, a lot of knee-jerk reactions. But you know, if, if, if you're Vanderbilt, there's nothing else you can do, right? It happened and you've got to respond against Kentucky on Saturday. All right, that'll do it for this initial first segment. It's now time for our guest line, brought to you by John Leffen and the Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. Maynard Nexon advises government contractors on all aspects of their businesses with a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. Give them a call. That's 256-551-0171. Again, that's 256-551-0171. We kick it off with Joey Dwyer, what to watch for heading into Kentucky, and then Kevin Ingram, sideline reporter for Vanderbilt Radio Network, and then to close it out, Jeff Drummond, the managing editor for Cats Illustrated, Kentucky's rival site. But first, what to watch for with Joey Dwyer. All right, Joey, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, 11 a.m. kickoff on Saturday at First Bank Stadium in Nashville. You can watch it on the SEC Network. Joey, has anything changed before we get into your your five things to watch? Uh, obviously, you've been through almost a week here after the UNLV game. In your mind, has anything changed uh, in terms of your opinions of this team and and how you evaluate this team, or are they still are they still pretty uh, comparable to the way you thought after right after the UNLV, especially during our post game show? Yeah, not a whole lot has changed. I mean. It's- feels like the same story has been applicable with this team all year it's somewhere in there but Vanderbilt is far from unlocking that right now with the mistakes it makes with some of the intensity it shows at times the little things I don't know if it's going to be fixed but we've always known it's in there if that ever becomes unlocked and Vanderbilt ever finds a way to win an SEC game with this team is yet to be seen but I think there's some reason for some optimism but I would be mistaken to be able to sell that to people right now with full confidence other than just to talk you off the ledge situation. Well, and all of a sudden, right after the brutal loss to UNLV, you sit at two and two in the SEC or overall, and you're heading into SEC play, right? You got the Kentucky Wildcats coming into Nashville for an early kick. We start with the return of Ray Davis, and I like the first sentence here on, on your things to watch. And again, if you guys haven't read this, check it out at VandySports.com, Joey Dwyer's Weekly. Five things to watch. You said it's impossible to ignore the storylines involving Ray Davis, and, and it I mean, I would agree. It's He's a guy that just last year was in the black and gold and running strong in Lexington, leading Vanderbilt to a victory uh, alongside Mike Wright. So it's, it's interesting how the transfer portal – can act as an immediate uh, impact tool, and I think that's that's what Kentucky wanted. They wanted what they saw uh, in Lexington when Vanderbilt came and beat them. Uh, why why is this the most important storyline? I don't know if it is in your mind or if this is just randomized, but it does seem like the uh, the biggest talking point heading into this game. Yeah, it certainly does seem like the biggest talking point, and it's not helped by the fact that. 
Vanderbilt hasn't been able, been able to run it super effectively thus far, and that Vanderbilt has struggled to stop the run game in one of its four games, but has mightily struggled in that game, which was his only Power 5 game. So Ray Davis could legitimately take over this game, and I think that's a really scary thing for Vanderbilt fans to see if Ray Davis is running all over this defense and talking trash and all that. I think Vanderbilt fans really were rubbed the wrong way by some of his comments this offseason, and there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, it's it's not maybe the most important storyline in terms of game outcome, but I think Vanderbilt fans are really looking for anything right now in terms of just things to follow other than us hearing and reciting the same story over and over again. It's really interesting to see in a 1,000-yard rusher who really helped to put Vanderbilt over the edge against this team last year, now coming into Vanderbilt Stadium with this team. It's strange. It's really strange. And uh, I think Clark Lee has tried his best to ignore it and push it off to the side, but it's really difficult to do that, especially considering the presence of the media and all that. Ray Davis even talked to the media this week at Kentucky, so there's a lot to unpack here, and his performance on Saturday will be really, really interesting, uh, especially if it's a big performance and it exposes some of the flaws in Vanderbilt's tackling and just defense in general. Ray Davis so far this season, 240 yards, three touchdowns, seven yards per carry. And I know, again, they haven't played any SEC teams yet, but he also has 143 receiving yards and two touchdowns through the air. So we, we know what he can do, right? I mean, we, we saw it last year. I know, Joe, you, you weren't quite covering Vanderbilt yet, but I'm sure you saw even some of those games, right, with, with Ray Davis and his success and were aware of it. I mean, who wasn't? He, You know, you could argue he was Vanderbilt's biggest piece uh, last year, and now he's in the blue and white. So really, I, I'm with you, Joe. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what he looks like, how motivated he is, but also on the other side, how motivated this Vanderbilt defense is to to go up against him and and, and see what they've got for him. And I thought it was interesting. He uh, he was talking to the Kentucky media and he said, you know, when I was at Vanderbilt, I would always talk trash during practice to C.J. Taylor and Derricky Wright. And, you know, I would always end up saying, well, I guess we'll never find out in, in, in a real game, you know, what 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 we could do to each other. Well, now you get the opportunity, you know, to, to really, uh, you know, talk trash during a game. And then I, I'm sure after the game, they'll, you know, they'll, they're friends, but on the field, they are certainly not. So we're, we're looking forward to that. Joey, let's move on to the Achilles heel for this Vanderbilt team. The turnovers and the mistakes, the the sloppy play, ball security, bad snaps, interceptions and fumbles at crucial times. I mean, it's I said it earlier this week with Chris and Luke, it feels like a comedy of errors. You know, you just one one mistake happens and then it sort of snowballs from there. You said that's something to watch, and that's the biggest thing to watch, I think, on the Vanderbilt side. Obviously, Ray Davis with Kentucky, but they just they can't turn it over like that and win games, Joey. And and you you did a good job of highlighting that. Yeah, Kentucky's not an unbeatable team or a team that would run Vanderbilt off the field if Vanderbilt plays mm-hmm. a good game. However, if Vanderbilt turns it over the way it has, if Vanderbilt has made some of the careless errors it has. I don't expect them to stay in this game with Kentucky, and I don't know if anyone should. <clears throat> Kentucky is too good to make these mistakes against. It's too good to have lackluster play against, and it's too good to do the things that Vanderbilt has done throughout the year. It's going to make Vanderbilt pay for a lot of those things. I think in order to win this game, Vanderbilt has to establish a consistent passing attack without interceptions, and I think it's capable of that. We haven't seen it thus far, though. We've seen... <laughs> We've seen Vanderbilt put up 37 points against UNLV. We've seen them throw for however many yards against Wake Forest. Neither of those games were wins, though, and both of those games were games in which the offense was graded out poorly. So it feels like Vanderbilt's offense has it in there. But, I mean, Billy, we've said this all season long. Mm -hmm. The offense has it in there, but it's not quite there yet. I think the passing game has to be what leads Vanderbilt in this game and has to be able to help it keep pace with Kentucky throughout the day. And... I'm confident that Vanderbilt can throw for a whole lot of yards. I think whether Vanderbilt is able to avoid the big mistake and is able to make the play in the crucial time is probably the biggest thing to watch. Kentucky's corners aren't awesome. That's probably one of their biggest question marks as a roster, kind of similar to Vandy. So Vanderbilt will get its yards, but when it matters most, 
can they avoid the mistake and can they make the big play? I'm not sure yet. It's offensive line. Can it avoid some procedural penalties? Can it avoid the bad snaps? I couldn't tell you that's on them. Defensively, can it avoid giving up a play in a big time, which I guess for most of the season it's done well. It's kind of implemented some bend, don't break, but on Saturday it was kind of the opposite. I'm really interested to see kind of how this team responds to what happened on Saturday and if it's a wake-up call or if that makes this team a little bit tighter or does this team quit halfway through if they're down 14 nothing? We'll see, and I think Vanderbilt will uh, learn a lot about itself on Saturday. On paper, this is a home game, Joey, but uh, in reality, and I think we'll be able to easily tell when we get up to the press box, that there's going to be – there's going to be a lot of Kentucky fans. It's going to be mostly blue and white, uh, as it usually is when, when another SEC team comes to town. It's really nothing new uh, for Vanderbilt fans. But I think this game was going to be different, say, if Vanderbilt beat UNLV. You got some momentum heading into your first SEC home game of the season. Now, all of a sudden, I think there's some fans not going uh, that that might have been going otherwise. Uh, but on the Kentucky side of things, heading into Nashville, Saturday's game will be the most challenging environment Kentucky will play in this season. And Mark Stoops said that. So that came straight from Mark Stoops' mouth. I thought it was interesting. He said it needs to be talked about. So they're not surprised when they see it, when he's talking about all the construction, because there definitely will be the most challenging environment we play in this year. From that point, just aesthetically and getting dressed and logistically and all that. I thought that was interesting how you know, this isn't Neyland Stadium. This isn't uh, williams Bryce Stadium. You know, this, <laughs> this isn't Athens, Georgia. But you got a scoreboard hanging from from a couple of, uh, of uh, what do you even call those? Um, cranes. I'm, I'm, cranes, yeah. I, I don't even, it's early. You got you got a scoreboard hanging from some cranes, Joey, and, and you got the visitor's locker room and a tent. So, ironically, this could be the most challenging environment Kentucky plays in. In terms of Vanderbilt, I said it earlier, Joey, I, this could have been different in terms of Vanderbilt fans showing up. Now, all of a sudden, you lose to UNLV, and I think there's some fans that might have said, you know, I, I'm not going to show up. Yeah, I mean, it's Vanderbilt's fifth game, and it feels like there's already a little bit of apathy within the fan base. I wouldn't say it's that the fan base is checked out yet, but they're certainly starting to seem like some some sect of the fan base is starting to kind of get there. And can you blame him at this point, Billy? It feels like this team is not heading for where it should be heading and where the goal was. So this fan base is going to need something to help it buy back in. A win against Kentucky would do that. But heading into Saturday, I wouldn't expect this to be a crowd that's largely filled with Vanderbilt fans. If it's filled, it's going to be with a lot of Kentucky fans and probably significantly more Kentucky fans than Vanderbilt fans. And the bigger question is whether – Vanderbilt has really any showing on Sunday or on Saturday. I think that's probably where my head turns to is there is there apathy in this fan base and how much of it, if so, I think we'll be able to figure that out a little bit on Saturday. Last thing to watch for you, Joey, uh, can Vanderbilt's offensive line hold up? And uh, they, they gave A.J. Swan a little bit more time on Saturday against UNLV. Swan was 17 of 35 for 335 yards, only sacked twice. So I thought they were – I thought they were a little bit better. Run blocking still, you know, is is weak. I just don't think they have uh, they've held up their end of the bargain. Can they be better? Who knows? I mean, are is this is this who this offensive line is right now? Or are they just are they not a formidable unit that Vanderbilt can rely on? We'll see. I mean, I think through four games they're not. Um, but your last thing to watch here, Joey, is can they can they hold up? And, you know, they're going to need to. It's SEC ball now. So, you know, you're going to have to buckle up and and uh, get ready for an SEC front seven. Yeah, and that front seven has generally been a strength for Kentucky. It's a front seven that has had 10 sacks through three games. So Vanderbilt's going to have to buckle in and really help A.J. Swan out. And it hasn't done that a whole lot to this point. That's led to some of the mistakes <laughs> that A.J. Swan has made is just struggling to kind of help him with the run game and, and pass blocking, but at some point it falls on him, obviously. That run game has to get going at some point, though, and I'm not confident it can on Saturday. Wouldn't that be something if Ray Davis ran for, what, 150 yards or something in Vanderbilt had less than that as a unit? I think that's a real possibility that could happen heading into this game. Vanderbilt's offensive line has to take control and make sure that doesn't happen, though, and 
I'm not sure that or Vanderbilt's defensive line will be a huge positive on Saturday. It's really difficult to put your faith in either of those units at this point with some of the lack of pressure that the defensive line generated as well as kind of how the offensive line has got pushed around or made mental mistakes at times. I think there's a lot to unpack here, but Vanderbilt's offensive line has to be better. And I think we both know that. Vanderbilt knows that. Whether it can actually execute that is a completely different story, especially against this front seven, which is probably far and away the best they've seen thus far. I lied, Joey. I, I skipped your first thing to watch. How, how does Vanderbilt respond uh, to what happened in Las Vegas? And I know you touched on it a little bit there. I like the questions that you asked here. Does Vanderbilt come out flat-footed and get pushed around? Will it continue to beat itself in the same ways it has all season, or will it come out and impress against its best opponent yet? And you're right about that. I mean, Kentucky is uh, probably by far the, the best opponent yet. I mean, Wake Forest, I think, would would rival that. But, you know, I still think Wake Forest is bottom half of the ACC, if, if I'm being honest. So uh, Kentucky with, with Leary, Ray Davis, all those receivers, a couple of really good tight ends. This is going to be a really big challenge for Vanderbilt. And I think if they're not careful, this one could get out of hand. I think they know that. Um, so obviously the margin for error is small. We saw the margin for error is small, even against UNLV, Joey. So I, I, I mean, it, it doesn't really change uh, for this team, no matter who they're playing. That's just where this program's at. But how do they respond, Joey? I mean, I, I, obviously we can't answer it yet, but I, I think that's that's one of the bigger questions here culturally, right, within this program, internally, how do they respond after a brutal loss? I said the most disappointing loss in the Clarkley era. I know ETSU was a bad one in year one, but just, you know, you had some momentum with the program, and then you go down against a Mountain West team. It'll be interesting to see how this team responds, Joey. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I think you'd like to believe that Clarkley has the locker room and has his culture in place still. He has belief from his players and his staff. I think that'll be put to the test on Saturday, though. I think I do believe that Clarkley has that. But it's a little harder to believe that if Vanderbilt goes out and loses 40-7 to and is down 21 nothing at halftime and doesn't respond well to that coming out of the break. Just it feels like this is kind of a gut check for this team. And they've had a crossroads. They've had the wake-up call, whatever you want to call it, in previous weeks. But we're past that now. This team has still some things to play for. But do they believe that they can get there? And do they believe that they can fight against a team like Kentucky, who's better than two teams that they've lost to? We'll find out, Billy. And I think that tells you a lot about Clark Lee and this program's stability and uh, if they're kind of taking in the message that he's putting down. <clears throat> Big one on Saturday. Get your coffee Saturday morning. We'll be there bright and early at uh, First Bank Stadium for our last-minute thoughts. So we'll probably try to get that out around 9.30 at the latest, try to get that uploaded and ready for you on YouTube. And uh, we, we will be ready to go. Weather should be good, Joey. No rain, no delay, knock on wood. Uh, I think you've got some behind you there, but <laughs> uh, Joey, appreciate it, man. I'll see you Saturday. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now, happy to be joined by Kevin Ingram, Vanderbilt sideline reporter on the Vanderbilt Sports Radio Network. And Kevin, let's hop right into it. We got uh, Vanderbilt in Kentucky on Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff here in Nashville, SEC opener. Let's start with what you saw in Las Vegas. I know you personally, first off, congratulations um, on your induction into the Bowling Green uh, High School Hall of Fame. Uh, special honor for you, of course. Uh, that meant you got to Vegas a little late there. On, <laughs> I did. <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, so congratulations. But as you got to Vegas, uh, w what did you see uh, in that one? Obviously, it was a brutal loss for, for Vanderbilt. Uh, and, and they'll have to refocus here against Kentucky. But uh, just kind of tell me what you were able to to see and, and find out there during that one. Yeah, Billy, thanks for the kind words. Uh, first of all, uh, it was it was really a special thing back on Friday up in my hometown in Bowling Green. Um, it, it was the whole thing was really neat. Uh, I flew out there on Saturday morning. Uh, I left Nashville about 630 and uh, I got to the team hotel it was probably about local time is about nine o'clock. And so ate some breakfast and took a little nap. And then we went to the stadium. Uh, I, I think for Vanderbilt in that game, it, obviously a, a major disappointment uh, with the way it ended. Still had a chance to win in the second half despite all the things that went wrong. Um, the first quarter started great, led 17-0, but then the middle two quarters were really in a lot of ways where the game got away. Uh, you can look at a few plays at the end, and Clark Lee talked about that. But 
just too many mistakes in those middle two quarters. Uh, you think about five fumbles, you lose three, and then you have an interception mixed in there and uh, just a, a lot of things that didn't go well. And uh, UNLV was able to reel off 30 straight points. But, you know, it looked like when you got in the fourth quarter, Vanderbilt was going to be able to steady the ship a little bit, scored a couple touchdowns and a field goal or two and got back even at 30 and had a chance to to go in front there inside the final minute. But it just didn't work out. And UNLV hit on a big play and, and kick the field goal right there in the final second. So uh, definitely a, a tough loss and, uh, you know, one that's yeah, it's a game you look at. And I know probably everybody circled that one and say, okay, that, that's a game you have a good chance to win, but you can't do anything about it now. You go uh, headlong into SEC play for the next eight games. And uh, this team just has to figure out a way to to learn from it, from it and, and flush it, go forward and, and try to win a football game this week. Kevin, we've seen what this team is capable of, right? I mean, they, they, they beat uh, Hawaii. They ended up, uh, beating Alabama A&M, having a great fourth quarter in that one. <clears throat> and to me, feels like when this team plays clean football, when when they eliminate the sloppy mistakes, they can they can compete with with anybody on the schedule, um, right? Maybe outside of potentially Georgia. But I mean, Kevin, would you agree there that if if they can clean this thing up, you know they'll they'll be they'll be looking up and uh, you know they'll give themselves a chance. But like Clark says. Uh, if if they continue to play sloppy, they leave it to chance, right? So yeah. so would you agree there? Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's a whole lot of it. You, you just haven't seen a very consistent or even performance for four quarters out of this team. We've seen some really good flashes of play. There's no question about it. I mean, that, the second half against Alabama A&M really played well and pulled away. First quarter against UNLV was good. Couple spots at Wake Forest. That game was was certainly a. Uh, I, I think everybody would agree uh, sloppier than this this team and this program had in mind. Uh, but yeah, this team's shown you some good things and they, they've shown improvement and that the talent is better in a lot of areas, but you just want to see that consistency uh, throughout a, an entire football game. And that's what it's going to take to win the SEC. You have to play your, you don't have to always play 100% your best, but you have to play really consistently well to have a chance to win against teams that are going to be tough every single week. I thought AJ Swan played a little bit better, um, you know, played a little bit more, more uh, concise and in, in, in a clean football game. And, you know, Kev, he, I, I don't know if you got a look at his injury there on the sideline. I, I think I heard it was an elbow contusion. He should be good to go against Kentucky. Uh, tell me what you saw about, about his toughness and, and you were right there on the sideline. Maybe you got a look at him and, and, and what he was looking like. I know they showed him on the sideline warming up and try, and he had wore that brace on his right elbow. Um, kind of track me through that, that situation and, and how he was able to find a way to, to, to take his team down the field uh, twice and, and end up tying the game. Yeah, I thought he showed a lot of toughness in that game, Billy, uh, especially in that second half when he came back and played. I think going to the halftime, you know, we wondered whether he would be back at all. Uh, mm. The injury happened right before halftime. I was actually over on the other side of the field because we were getting ready to to do our halftime interview. So I was down close to the tunnel when it happened, and I watched it all from a distance, and I, I, was, I was not there on the sideline during that part of it. But I, I was there right before the second half started, and, and you're watching him, and he's trying to throw a little bit, and it just doesn't look like he normally does. Just It didn't seem like the, the ball had the zip on it and watching him trying to get loose. But then, uh, you know, they played one series with Ken Seals, and uh, and then they came back with A.J. after that, and he looked fine. Like, he threw the ball great, and uh, I thought he really made some plays and, and showed a lot of toughness and talked to a couple of his teammates about that. Talked to Justin Ball after the game and talked to London Humphreys a little bit about that this week. And uh, I think the consensus was, uh, you know, they, they were they, everybody knew about his toughness, but, it, but that was on display in yeah. Las Vegas. Kev, let's get into – one more guy in the offense, London Humphreys, a guy that has had uh, two straight games uh, over 100 yards, and he's averaging something crazy. I don't know if you have the stat. I think it's around 30 yards a catch or, or something like that. I think they said that. So they said that in the broadcast. What have you seen from him? I mean, the kid's a freshman, and he and he is out here, um, you know, beating Division One cornerbacks uh, on the outside. With I mean, it feels like it's a deep ball every time he makes yeah. the catch. So, um, what have you seen there from from London Humphreys? Yeah, he's looked good so far. He had uh, three catches for 102 and that 56-yard touchdown. Had another big catch that, that helped set up a score. Um, I've been really impressed with him. I think these young receivers, you know, the, the sky is the limit for guys like London Humphreys and Junior Sherrill. Um, and I, I interviewed him for our pregame show this week, and uh, he said he learned a lot from some of the older players like Will Shepard and, and a few of the others that have been around here a while. But uh, you love London's speed. Uh, I, I – I feel like he makes some plays like a veteran receiver. You know, a guy who's yeah. been around a lot more than just a few games in a freshman season. The thing I like about him is on a deep ball, I've noticed this a couple of times, that 
you know, a lot of times you're running for stride for stride and you got a cornerback running there with you, trying to stay with you going down the field. You don't want to give away too soon that the ball's about to arrive. And and he always does a good job of that. Like he'll turn his head just for just the right moment to catch the mm-hmm. football. And boy, that throw from, from AJ to London in the first half for the touchdown, I was, it was basically coming right at me. And uh, as, when that ball was in the air, I was like, this is going to work out great. It, it, was, it, was a, <laughs> it was a beautiful throw. And I mean, it hit him right in stride and scored the touchdown. But yeah, London's been really good. And you know, local guy from CPA, and there, there are a few local guys on this team. And that part of it's been fun. And there's so many good players in this Nashville area and, and the city and surrounding area, surrounding counties that uh, you have a chance to really get some talent uh, in, in this area. And Vanderbilt's been able to get quite a few from from right around here, including uh, Christ Presbyterian, where, where London played. Uh, of course, the Patterson brothers and London and uh, some other players from around this area that have uh, been been really good. And the the young guys are looking good so far for this Vanderbilt team. Let's go defense now. Uh, of course, there are a couple of guys that are banged up, more than just a couple, actually. We'll, we'll be we'll be looking to see if Mahoney and uh, Dericky Wright will be able to go on Saturday. And of course, you you've seen some injuries kind of scattered uh, on on the front seven uh, there with. You know, it feels like they haven't had everybody available uh, that they've that they've really wanted to have available this season. Um, Kevin, do you think there's still more in that group, especially in the front seven? I think we know what they've got at linebacker and then at safety. And I want to get to the corners here in a second. But th- those those interior defensive linemen and then we'll throw the edge guys in there as well. Um, do, do you do you think there there's there's more in the tank there? Oh, I do, and and that's a position group that we felt like going into the season was going to be one that would be much improved and have certainly improved depth. Uh, Darren Agu being out for a couple weeks hurt, and he's been making his way back, but that guy can really be an impact player. He's been back for the last couple games, and you like the veteran, uh, you know, veterans of a guy like Nate Clifton and you know, Devin Lee, and there there's some guys that have been around here quite a while, but yeah, I think I think we can see even more out of that uh, defensive line group. Uh, I, I like that position group, and again, it feels like the, the depth has grown there. Uh, as far as in injuries, uh, your guess is as good as mine on uh, what you know what what we might see. Uh, I, I think we can certainly almost one hundred percent count on Derricky Wright being out there. He injured that ankle back early in the season. Uh, I think it was in that second game against Alabama A and M, and he, he's just toughed his way through it. And uh, we were talking mm-hmm. to Clark Lee about that the other night. He said, "Well, just one of those things. It's not going to get better unless you just sit down and rest it for a few weeks, and we can't really afford to do that. And, and, and Derricky <laughs> wants to play, so uh, we're going to figure out a way for him to get out there." Uh, you know, B.J. Anderson w- was out for that last game, and uh, Savion Riley being out, uh, you know, has uh, been been certainly uh, noticeable. He's, he's such a good tackler, even though mm-hmm. he's a, you know, he's just he's a second year player, but this is the first year playing. He didn't play last season, right? Uh, but but yeah, you have yeah have some uh, some injuries and just guys bagged up. Uh, th- those are things that happen during the course of a football season. Uh, uh, I Jalen Mahoney is, a, is another tough dude that that just going to make every effort to get out there. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see, you know, especially those veteran guys that we know, we know what they're about and um, they, they can play through stuff. So uh, yeah, well, we'll see when Saturday gets here. On the edges there, Kevin, you saw Martel Height, Trudell Berry uh, get the start against UNLV. Uh, it looks like they will be going again on Saturday against Kentucky. I thought they showed flashes at times. You saw the interception there from, mm-hmm. from Martel Height, uh, the, the freshman getting a good look there. And then uh, Trudell Berry starting to grow into into his identity and, and the player he wants to be. Of course, you saw the the tough play at the end there on on Martel, and I'm sure that's a play that he'll learn from and go back to throughout his career and, and kind of point to that. Uh, what did you see overall from them? And uh, because heading into SEC play, right, Vanderbilt's yeah. going to need those guys to step up. For sure. And and, and when you have young corners, you're going to see good and you're going to see uh, plays that, that you like to have back. Uh, boy, the interception, the pick six by Martel Hyde early in the game, that was spectacular. I mean, he showed how that amazing speed that he has. And I, I think he's just going to be a fantastic player. Uh, Trudell Berry, a, a sophomore on this team, and he's been around a little bit more than, than maybe Martel has. But yeah, the. That, that those cornerback spots where they really put you to the test because you know so many passing offenses today and and you know you'll see it even more as we get deeper into SEC play uh if people know you have young corners they're, they're going to try to you know see if they can make the plays and put them mm-hmm. to the challenge so uh, I'm sure we'll see more of that yeah Norman was telling me last time I had him on I think heading into the weight game he was like it's just hard <laughs> it is hard to play corner sure. uh, at the SEC level mm-hmm. and uh-huh. and you've seen you know, Hawaii, Kevin, I mean, you, you saw their receivers. Wake Forest obviously has good receivers. I think we forget there's really talented players outside the SEC as well. Yeah, no doubt. There there sure are. That, that Wake Forest offense is so difficult to uh, defend. Just the way they play, it's just a strange sort of style, and uh, it feels like they make you pay for every mistake. 
All right, Kev, let's get into Kentucky. Uh, obviously, we're, we're familiar with Ray Davis coming into Nashville, and uh, obviously we know what he did last year against Kentucky. Uh, it's a new-look Wildcat team with, with Devin yeah. Leary at quarterback. and got, Of course, they've got three good receivers, Barry on Brown, a local kid from, from Pearl Cone, who, who Nashville knows well, of course. Uh, defensively, they're stout. Uh, what do you like from this Kentucky team? But from Vanderbilt's perspective, where do you, where do you see Vandy maybe having some success on Saturday against them? Yeah, I think this Kentucky team's played pretty well. Yeah, you know, they, they haven't played the, the highest level of competition yet, so we'll see. Um, they, they've they've gone three and zero, and they played home games. And, and in some ways, the game against Eastern Kentucky was their biggest challenge. That one went a yeah. little deeper in the second half. Uh, played a couple MAC teams. Otherwise, uh, I I've been really impressed over the years with the job that Mark Stoops has done with that program. And that, I always say that that's a good example of an administration staying with a head coach and getting the payoff mm-hmm. on the other side. Uh, he, he struggled a little bit and program struggled a little bit the, the first few years he was there. But then once he got it going, I mean, it's been a string of bowl games for them pretty much every year. You can pencil them into uh, to play in a bowl game somewhere. It is a little bit different looking team. Uh, certainly uh, at quarterback with Will Levis now uh, playing here with the Titans and, and Devin Leary now uh, taking the snaps. A uh, guy who was a really highly touted player at, at NC State and, and transferred in. But yeah, Ray Davis, I mean, he's he was a focal point of Vanderbilt's offense last year, and you can say the same for him at Kentucky this year. He's just a he's a tough runner. He's a tough guy. He can catch pass. He can make people miss. He can run over people. And um, you know, I, th- I think Vanderbilt's uh, defense. You know, you got a lot of uh, guys who played against him in practice yeah. last year and know what he's about. So uh, that that won't be any secret. Uh, their defense has been good. Uh, again, we haven't seen them tested against a power conference team just yet, but they'll they'll get plenty of that here in the coming weeks. But I just think overall as a program. Uh, Mark Stoops and that group have, have done a really good job. And I know uh, uh, Cone is back as the uh, offensive coordinator. So uh, that, that that I know that was a, a big thing for them to have him back uh, calling the play. So, yeah, it's a, it'll be a big challenge on Saturday. And it's kind of weird to play Kentucky this early in the season. That's usually a November game when it's uh, I know. raining and or snowing and, you know, at about 32 degrees or something. It doesn't like feel that. right. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> the weather needs to take about a 40-degree turn for us to play Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's always late late in the season there uh kevin i really appreciate it uh good luck on the call of course you're, you're back home so no yeah. no wild trip out to vegas or or uh winston-salem so you, you'll be back in nashville for that one uh, again 11 a.m kickoff vanderbilt in kentucky kevin really appreciate it hey anytime billy appreciate the time to close out the vandy kentucky pregame show i'm now happy to be joined by jeff drummond Longtime Kentucky insider. He's the managing editor for Cats Illustrated, Kentucky's rivals site. Jeff, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Obviously, big matchup coming up on Saturday, the SEC opener for both teams, Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Uh, so far, let, let's start with the Cats. Obviously, they haven't really played murderers row. The only tough competition or game for them so far has been Eastern Kentucky. Of course, that was a that was tighter than Mark Stoops probably would have liked to see, but but they're 3-0 heading to Nashville into the uh, construction site. So uh, I know we'll get to that a little bit later. But, Jeff, just so far, what have you seen from Kentucky that you've liked and and maybe some things that you think they got to clean up before this Vanderbilt matchup? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They haven't exactly played uh, a gangbuster schedule uh, so far. Three games that everyone expected them to really take care of business and and – kind of have three blowouts. Now you could argue looking at the scores that two of them look that way. They weren't really played that way. None of these games did Kentucky just come out and blow the, the doors off. uh, No pun intended (laughs) against these so-called lesser opponents. Uh, They really had to kind of fight and struggle to methodically build that lead and stretch it out at the very end uh, to have a couple of scores that look like they, they took care of business maybe a little bit more so than than how it actually played out. But it's been a season of just being really close in a lot of ways. There are a play here and a play there, a penalty here, a penalty there, you know, an execution breakdown from really being outstanding. Um, but they've shot themselves in the foot in every game, almost constantly on offense or they'd be putting up a lot better numbers than they have. Well, you look at Devin Leary's stat line so far, the transfer from NC State coming in to playing under Liam Cohen, 855 yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions. And that's up there in, in terms of SEC passers. But, you know, we're only through three weeks here. 
have you have you seen what you expected to see from him so far? I, I mean, obviously he's a different type of quarterback uh, than Will Levis, uh, but uh, you know I think there are some similarities. And of course, with Liam Cohen coming back, I think that has excited some Kentucky fans. So, uh, what what have you seen that you've liked so far from Devin Leary? The best thing I can say about Devin Leary is he's constantly keeping his eyes down the field and looking for every receiver in the progression tree and kind of all the, they, the thing they like to say about him a lot is all eligibles are in it until the play is over with Devin Leary. That wasn't always the case with Will Nevis, who did his share of, of great things here. Will Nevis had a cannon of an arm, mm-hmm. just a monster arm. And he can make some things happen with that, that a lot of other guys couldn't. But one of the, knocks against it was he would lock on to a receiver he'd have a little bit too much faith in, in that cannon and, and wouldn't go through the progressions kind of like Devin Leary does and I, I think for the way that Kentucky plays and the, the receivers and skilled players that he has available in the passing game this year he's going to put up better numbers than, than Will Levis did even though Will Levis wound up you know being a fairly high NFL draft pick. Let's go to the running back, Ray Davis. Of course, he played at Vanderbilt last year. He was he was their guy, right? And and in Lexington, when when Vanderbilt beat Kentucky, ran all over the Cats. And Mark Stoops oh, said, "Let's go." <laughs> Mark Stoops said, "Let's go get him." So uh, obviously, this is the storyline that that everybody loves talking about. And and uh, I'm sure it's been tough for for both teams to continue answering questions about Ray. I'm sure Ray's gotten sick of it, but he's looked really good this year. Three touchdowns on the ground, two through the air. And he looks more explosive. I mean, he, he you know he's got a better offensive line, of course, to run behind. Uh, for Ray Davis, uh, have you got a chance to talk to him heading into this matchup? And and for Kentucky, uh, I mean, w- what what kind of focus uh, do you think they have put on Ray Davis within this offense? Pretty big, even though a lot of people would argue we haven't seen nearly enough of him for how productive he's been. Uh, they're kind of gradually working it in. I I believe that they saw the first three games as an opportunity to go work on some things and just see how much they could put on Leary and, and the passing game. And they kind of said, if, if things get bad, we can kind of lean on Ray and we know what we've got there. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how it played out because they're not exactly using him as a workhorse right now. When you think of these Kentucky teams under stoops, they usually have like a, a Benny Snell or a Chris Rodriguez or somebody that might come at you 30 times a game just pound, pound, pound. They haven't used Ray like that yet. They've given him maybe nine or 10 carries and then four or five touches, you know, in the passing game, which is something that's really new here. We haven't seen the running backs at Kentucky catch a lot of passes. And he adds a, another dimension in that regard. But the fans, I think, are slowly starting to figure out that this kid's a lot better than they thought he was. And a lot of that comes from stereotyping the helmet, the uniform last year, mm-hmm. even though they came in and they saw with their own eyes, Ray Davis ran all over Kentucky, a good Kentucky defense and, and won that game. They're still like, yeah, he, he played for Vanderbilt. I'm sure you face that all the time with your guys. Mm-hmm. And there's this skepticism of how good can he be? And Ray has spent all week telling us these guys have players and you better realize that. And, and come to to play on Saturday because they've got they've got more guys some they've got some guys better than I was. Yeah, Jeff, I want to go back to that game last year, and I was not able to be there. I, I'm sure you were there, and and it it was shocking to to see that result. And, and Vanderbilt, of course, was reeling. They had a couple of SEC losses in a row, and and you know their fans were upset. And all of a sudden, they pick off a win over a ranked Kentucky team. And we know Will Levis was banged up, and the offensive line was was struggling, but from your perspective, how did that happen last year? They just, I think they had gotten so beat down at that point, kind of going through the SEC gauntlet mm-hmm. and that, that offensive line, it just wasn't good. And they just didn't have much chemistry. You had four to five guys arguably playing out of position, not their best natural spot. You have Will Nevis out there. I mean, God bless his heart, but, he had a broken everything at the end of the season. <laughs> he was, he was holding it together with duct tape and, um, but he still wanted to go out there and try to help his team win when he, he probably should have shut it down. 
Um, but between that and the offensive system that Kentucky was trying to run, obviously they made a change in the offseason from uh, Rich Scangarello to bringing Liam Cohen back. Uh, I think that was a big part of it. And, and they did some of the things we mentioned earlier when we started talking about it. They committed two really bad penalties at the end of the game mm-hmm. where, where if they don't hit the guy in the face mask or uh, don't interfere, I think, towards the end, they probably find a way to eke that out. And then yeah, because that, that was on a fourth down, that, that I think that face mask, yeah. People forget, you know, if you win that game – Five ten years from now, people say, "Oh, they be- they won." Nobody remembers the details, but you lose, and everybody will remember those for right. a long time. I want to get a little bit deeper into this offense. I know we'll get to the Kentucky defense uh, here in a second, but the receivers, I look at those receivers, and I love what, what Kentucky's got there. Barryon Brown, a kid from Nashville who has been explosive. You know, We probably still haven't seen his full capability uh, in that offense yet this year. And even last year, I thought you know he could have been featured maybe a little bit more. Tavion Robinson this year so far uh, has been the guy. He's got three touchdowns um, and also Dane Key. So, do you think with Liam Cohen, this offense feels a little bit more explosive potentially than they were last year? Because again, I look at those receivers and and that's a group that might scare me if I'm Vanderbilt. We've seen more explosive plays in these first three games than maybe we saw all of last season from, from this offense. I mean, that was a horizontal uh, passing attack last year. Uh, it was, it was Will Levis turning and throwing the ball sideways and hoping a wide receiver Right. Could make a play or getting way behind in, in some games and having to fling it down the field. But it just wasn't very cohesive. It never, never looked anything like it did uh, the year prior with Leon Cohen, a pretty good offensive line and a healthy Will Levis. The irony there is he only had one when he was fully healthy and had a good offensive line. He only had one wide receiver that was very good. Wandale Robinson. <laughs> Yeah. So defenses could kind of lock on to him. You can't do that with this Kentucky offense right now. There's there's three guys that can hurt you um, in the wide receiver core, and there's also two or three playmakers in the tight end group uh, that Cohen likes to use a lot more than his predecessor uh, did. And they're throwing the ball to Ray Davis, and that's kind of a, a wild card there. Uh, a bit of a revelation that none of us really knew that he was such an effective pass catcher. Let's go defensively now. Uh, Kentucky last year, you mentioned how good defensively they were. Uh, and, and, you know, I think a lot of Vanderbilt fans forget that the Commodores were able to to, to beat a, a good Kentucky defense last year. Um, and, and, you know, you look this year, linebacker Trevin Wallace already has four sacks, which is crazy. I know it's not the best competition, but that leads the conference. Maxwell Harrison is a guy that has popped. He's got an interception and a forced fumble so far as well. Is Kentucky as good defensively as they were last year? Remains to be seen. Uh, you know, they've, they've got some star power over there. A guy you didn't mention, Dion Walker, is just a monster on the defensive line. I mean, we're talking about a guy 6'6", 6'7", about 350, 360 pounds. And they use him standing up in a nine technique sometimes and, and rush him off the edge. Uh, he does things – I call him the grizzly bear because that's what it feels like when I'm trying to interview him standing up. <laughs> like, People shouldn't be <laughs> this large. This big. It just doesn't happen. It's like a um, kind of a Marvel character or something like that. <laughs> but he's disrupting things up front to the point where their other defensive linemen are getting a lot of chances to make some things happen. And a guy like Trevin Wallace that you mentioned is is timing up some blitz as well and getting pressure. Uh, the only question we had going into this season was the secondary. And so far, it's held up really well, and, and, and they've done a pretty good job overall. You mentioned Harrison. Uh, he's got a chance to be really good over there, very good in run support, not just defending passes. But he's a guy, when, when the ball comes to that edge, the ball carrier usually goes down. Uh, really good tackler. Um, the depth is a little bit questionable. If they have anybody go down at the corner spots, it's going to get tricky for Kentucky, and Brad White's going to have some challenges. Uh, but the 11 guys they can put out there are, are as good as, as probably what he's had um, maybe back to 2018 uh, when they uh, beat Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. 
Interesting. Let's get deeper into this matchup. Uh, Obviously, these two teams have a tight history. I think a lot of people forget that uh, this is a tight series. Kentucky leads it, I think, 48 to 43 with several ties in there. And there's been some streaks uh, on both sides, right? I think Mark Stoops had a six-game winning streak on Vanderbilt until last year. Vanderbilt hasn't beaten Kentucky at home since 15. So Kentucky has, has had control of the series as of late. With this matchup, though, what do you look at specifically, right? I like to ask everybody we have on for Kentucky to win. This has to happen. Or if Vanderbilt wins, this has to happen. Right. So what, what, what are some of the, some of the things you look at within this matchup on Saturday? Yeah. One of those you always kind of go to in these situations, take care of the football. You know, that, that may come off as a generic, but pretty big for, for Kentucky uh, limit the penalties. Penalties have been, a big pain. I mean, it wiped out a touchdown last week, a beautiful deep ball uh, to a freshman who's, who scored a touchdown. It's it's cost them some drives where they thought they would score more points this season. So those those little operational details, I think, have to be big. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it sounds like they've got a ton of respect for, for Swan at quarterback. They've said nothing but great things about him all week. Uh, over and over again. And they, they think that uh, obviously Shepard can play a lot. Everybody knows <laughs> about mm-hmm. that kid. Really good. But uh, a couple of guys that can hurt you deep, uh, too, in that wide receiver core, and they expect to be tested down the field. So one of the big keys outside of those things that apply to every game, I would say, is getting some pressure on Swan and making him a little bit uncomfortable uh, could be the biggest key for Kentucky. It's funny, taking care of the football is a key for Vanderbilt as well. So uh, that that has certainly been a problem, as you probably know. It's interesting, heading into this matchup, we know about the construction going on in Nashville. The capacity is down to about 28-5 right now. they got a scoreboard that's hanging from a couple of cranes. Kentucky's locker room is going to be inside of a tent. You know, (laughs) they'll have to walk over across the road to get to the stadium. Mark Stoops said, Saturday's game is going to be the most challenging environment Kentucky will play in all season, which I thought was interesting. For Kentucky, is that a distraction? I mean, I know it's the first SEC game of the season. This matchup is usually played later in the season with some snow or sleet or rain or freezing rain, whatever. Um, but what, what do you uh, do? You put any importance on on that and kind of the the exterior atmosphere heading into this one? You know, I. I don't a whole lot, even though they've brought it up a few times. And it kind of feels like, uh, you know, Hoosiers where he goes and uh, measures the baseline and the free throw line, the height of the rim and all that stuff to, to kind of get it out of their, their minds that even though the things around the football field will look and feel a lot different, it'll be an odd kind of feeling. You're still out there on a hundred yards and, that's where the game's going to be won and lost, mm-hmm. not not with any kind of uh, distraction from cranes and yeah. floating scoreboards. <laughs> you know, I saw one flying around in the breeze earlier this year. That was kind of yeah, weird. yeah. That uh, it's it's been it's been a little hectic over there. Although I think it, they've they've done their best with it, and and it you know it, it's it's been all right. Uh, lastly, here, Jeff, I, I want to get your take on. Um, Kentucky fans, right? We know they travel to Nashville very well, uh, and it feels like the better they get, right, the better team they have, naturally, support a winning product, Kentucky fans will travel. Are you expecting a lot of uh, blue and white uh, on Saturday in the Music City? I do. I think a, a lot of them see it as a good opportunity to go and enjoy Nashville. It's one of their favorite places to visit for, you know, not just Vanderbilt games, but the SEC tournament and even out of season, uh, you know, the, go down to see a show down there or, or whatever and just enjoy the, the music scene. Uh, a lot of people in Western Kentucky are really close, to, a lot closer to Nashville than they are mm-hmm. to Lexington. So I do think that'll be the case, although some seem to be getting a little bit scared off by the construction situation. And this might be a year where they say, eh, I don't know if it's really worth it. Yeah, there's cranes everywhere you look. I, I mean, it's it's uh, it, it can be a little bit of a mess, but I think that means that the future is hopefully bright at, at Vanderbilt for their program. But uh, Jeff, really appreciate the time and uh, looking forward to this matchup on Saturday.
Yeah, same same here. I think it's it's an intriguing one, and it's unusual to be seeing these teams play, like you said, in September. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird feeling. This is supposed to be the end of the year, but uh, um, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I had Kevin Ingram, Vanderbilt sideline reporter, for for several years on, and he, you know, he's used to battling the elements, uh, you know, the environmental elements of this, and he says it doesn't feel right that you know it's going to be 85 and 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 sunny and and no rain or freezing rain in this, so uh, we'll see. But uh, Jeff, thanks again. All right, take care, Billy. That'll do it for this week's Vanderbilt football pregame show. Once again, Vanderbilt and Kentucky, they tee it off 11 a.m on the SEC Network at First Bank Stadium here in Nashville. Looking forward to it. Ray Davis returning home to Nashville. Of course, the biggest storyline, but can Vanderbilt respond after last week's brutal, disappointing loss in Las Vegas, 40-37? to To close out, this podcast has always been free, and we plan for it to always be free. So here's how you can keep it that way. Number one, give the podcast a review and a five-star rating. That helps us get noticed. If you're listening and haven't subscribed to VandySports.com yet, please do. It's $99 a year and $9.99 per month. That helps us tremendously. Again, $9.99 per month or $99.99 per year. Subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel. We've started to gain some traction there. We've got uh, post-game press conferences, last-minute thoughts with Joey Dwyer and I. All of our podcasts go up there weekly pressers with with Clark Lee all kinds of content going up on our YouTube channel go subscribe to the Vandy Sports YouTube channel finally if you're interested in sponsoring the show email Chris Lee at chrislee70 at gmail.com again it's chrislee70 at gmail.com thanks for listening we'll catch you again soon with more episodes of the Vandy Sports Podcast